Happy New Year and welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman. I hope the new year finds you well-rested, well-hydrated, right? Surely, surely a relaxing Sunday night at home. Well, if the parties for New Year's Eve didn't do it to you, then a chaotic Sunday in the NFL surely did. Week 17 delivering all of the drama, all of the uncertainty we were hoping for. Not to bury the lead, it just feels like as great as the action was this weekend, it just set up one of the most exciting finales to a regular season that I can remember. As we sit here on New Year's Day, half the divisions in the NFL are up for grabs. Five playoff spots still unclaimed. Just a a wild ending to this very unpredictable season. Let's get into how week 17 shaped up what is looking like will be an amazing finish. And like I just said, with one week left to play, it's really anyone's guess what the full playoff field is going to look like. But the big news story coming out of week 17 is that we know where the road is going to go in each bracket of the NFL playoffs. The first item on our Sunday six here in 2024, our first Sunday six of the year, the number one seeds, the bye weeks, the all important home field advantage in both conferences have been sewed up. The road goes through Baltimore and San Francisco. The Ravens and the 49ers have been the best teams, the most consistent teams, usually the most dominant teams in the NFL this season. And now it'll be reflected in the playoff bracket. Let's get into how it happened for each team. Nobody deserving more of a spotlight than the Baltimore Ravens. Has anyone flexed their muscles quite like Baltimore this year? And they did it again on Sunday. A year of nearly unprecedented parity. The Ravens stand alone in terms of consistency. They did it again this weekend in a big, big way. They win 56 to 19 over the Miami Dolphins. Yes, you heard that right. Remember, this was the game of the week. This was the one that truly showed who stood alone. Remember also, this was a short week for the Baltimore Ravens. It's New Year's Day now. They played just a week ago on Christmas night on the West Coast. Short week against the physical 49ers. Remember at times this season, people have pointed out teams that play the Niners usually have a rough week the next week. Not the case for Baltimore. Going home to face an 11-win Miami team. Confidence should have been sky high for the Dolphins coming off that buzzer beater win against the Cowboys. The result, the latest in a long line of crushings by the Ravens. Baltimore led 28-13 at halftime, and that felt impressive enough in its own right. Third quarter tees off, and all of a sudden they roll 28-6 after halftime. They put in their backup quarterback, an absolute laugher, and the bulk of the damage comes through the air. Guy maybe you've heard of by the name of Lamar Jackson. I think he wrapped up his second NFL MVP on Sunday afternoon. Going against a playoff team, One week after he had a phenomenal game against San Francisco, number one seed at stake, he threw more touchdowns than incompletions against Miami. The final line says 18 of 21 for 330 and five touchdowns, threw in 35 rushing yards for good measure. Guy found seven different receivers, three different explosive gains, had a long one to Zay Flowers. It's Lamar's third career game with a perfect passer rating. He tied Tom Brady 
Peyton Manning, Kurt Warner, and Ben Roethlisberger for the most ever games. Absolutely perfect in passer rating. I don't know this for sure, but with home field advantage sealed up, I don't trust that we're going to see a lot of Lamar Jackson in week 18. Maybe he gets a series or two in the finale, but nothing to play for here. The Ravens have the division on lock. They have home field advantage. What a note to go out on. Maybe if this is all we see of Lamar Jackson and he doesn't even play next week, it's a hell of a way to finish it. As we sit here, one week left to play. The Ravens have played 10 games against teams that are right now over 500. They're seven and three. The three losses have come by a, tw- a combined 12 points. One of those was in overtime. The seven wins have been by an absurd 21 points per game. Just utterly dominant. And I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not sure we've given them the credit that they deserve. We've talked a lot about how, how the Niners have rolled over everyone they've played this season. Well, the Ravens rolled over the Niners as well as most everyone else they've played. And, uh, and any Ravens fan will tell you, shoot, the Ravens themselves will tell you a couple of those losses, really all three of them, have been incurred by their own shortcomings, by their own inability to close out games that they had control of in the fourth quarter. They have been consistent. They have been dominant. And remember, this was the AFC as well, the loaded conference. There's currently nine teams above 500 in the AFC right now. Franchise quarterbacks galore all over the place in that conference. They've locked up the one seed with time still to play. And I do believe their quarterback has just become the 11th multi-time MVP winner in NFL history. Not a bad day of work for the Baltimore Ravens. So... There's two ways to do this, right? The Ravens went out and grabbed it. They knew what was on the line. They pulverized the Miami Dolphins. But their NFC counterparts aren't mad about the way it happened for them either. I think we'll, we'll say the 49ers backdoor their way into the NFC number one seed, but they're not going to say no. Workmanlike performance in Washington, D.C., coming off of that Christmas loss to the, to the Ravens. 27-10 win over the Washington Commanders. Never quite turned into a blowout. Turnover on downs on the goal line late in the fourth quarter will do that to you. Respectable looking score. But they did manage to cover a large spread and talk about a day for the stat books. Brock Purdy breaks the 49ers franchise passing yards record and San Francisco becomes the first team in NFL history with a running back, two receivers, and a tight end to go over 1,000 total yards on the season. Not a bad bounce back effort after last week's loss, as Brock Purdy told our own Christina Pink on the sidelines afterwards. All right, Brock, what a bounce back performance from you guys. I know you talked about coming in, staying aggressive. How were you guys able to come in and take care of business today? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Washington, they, they did a great job. You know, it's it's a Sunday. You know, football can happen. Uh, anything can happen on a Sunday. And uh, for us, man, we just wanted to take it one play at a time, one drive at a time. Defense did their thing. Offense, we, we picked it up in the second half. So, um, decided to come out the dub. Well, on any given Sunday, you become the passing leader for this franchise in a single season. You've done a lot of special things this year, but how would you describe what this season has been like for you? Yeah, it's been a man. It's been a blessing. I, such a great team, uh, great teammates around me. So it's a testament to them, you know, to be able to throw to great guys, great players, have a great defense, and and to win games. So um, man, it's not a one-man show, that's for sure. All right, thanks so much, Brock. Yeah, thank you guys. Go Niners. A solid, if unspectacular, day from Purdy and the boys. But the afternoon became memorable because of what happened nearby. Roughly two hours up the highway in Philadelphia, the Arizona Cardinals pull off the result of the day with a 35-31 shocker over the Eagles. We will get to that in a second, I promise you. 
That game deserves plenty of mention on its own. But it might matter most to the 49ers, who were already up in the locker room in the tunnels at FedEx Stadium, and they got to watch the NFC one seed get handed to them by their division rivals, like Niners linebacker Fred Warner said afterward. Thanks, Cardinals. Without doing any extra work, the Niners are guaranteed the number one seed. It's obviously, I mean, it's the goal. You want you want home field advantage and everything that goes with it. But for a veteran team like San Francisco, the extra rest is going to matter a lot. Christian McCaffrey injured his calf in this win against Washington. You now have the luxury of resting him. Trent Williams and Debo Samuel have dealt with injuries at times this year. Head coach Kyle Shanahan made the astute observation, NFL roster sizes, preclude you from resting everyone. This isn't college. That's not how it works. But you can at least be judicious with that moving into week 18. It's got to be nice knowing that a season finale against the division rival Rams doesn't ultimately matter and you can decide who gets how much playing time, et cetera, et cetera. So thanks to that upset, it's cut and dry at the top of the NFC. Congrats to the Niners. But below them, it feels like utter chaos in the NFC. And let's get into it with the biggest upset of the day, Arizona over Philly. This would be worthy of being the number two item on our Sunday six all on its own. Cardinals were 11-point road underdogs. They win outright at the link. But it's also important because of the way it affects everything else about the NFC playoff picture. We already talked about how this result hands home field advantage to the 49ers. It's a hell of a departure from how we thought this was going to go. Easy strength of schedule for the Eagles down the final month. The expectation was they were going to push the Niners right up until the end. And even if they didn't get the one seed, they would finish comfortably as the two seed with at least a home playoff game, division champions, all that good stuff. This changes everything. Not only do the Eagles not have a say in home field advantage anymore, they no longer control their fate in the NFC East. The lost hands control to the Dallas Cowboys. If Dallas goes to Washington next week and wins, they can be the number two seed in the NFC. The Eagles are faced with a potential wildcard berth. It's a hell of a change from where this team was. And honestly, the Eagles need to thank their lucky stars that some of these close games wound up in their favor earlier in the season. They earned their playoff berth weeks ago. But if we're being honest with ourselves, Philadelphia hasn't looked like any type of true contender since around Thanksgiving. Maybe when they escaped Kansas City with that win against the Chiefs, it's been tough sledding ever since. And that's the, the, sh- the most shocking part about this is that it's only surprising because of the records involved. Yes, the Cardinals have lost 12 games, and they sit fourth in the NFL draft pecking order. But they've been pesky since Kyler Murray came back. Really, they've been pesky all season for a team with their talent level. We'll get to the job Jonathan Gannon's doing in a minute. The Eagles' defense speaks for itself. They demote their defensive coordinator a couple weeks ago. Their offense has been inconsistent, to put it nicely. Nothing fluky happened in this game. Arizona outgained the Eagles 449 to 275. The Cardinals got to the opposing red zone six times in this game. They even spotted the Eagles a 99-yard pick six. You let the other team score a defensive touchdown in the NFL, you're going to lose the vast majority of the time. Did not stop Arizona from rushing for 220 yards. Did not stop them from possessing the ball for a whopping 40 minutes in this game. It wound up being a thrilling finish. But the Cardinals thoroughly outplayed the Eagles. So as I'm joined now by our guys on the call, Joe Davis, Moose Johnson in the booth in Philly, 
I'm left wondering where Philly even goes from here. All right, y'all, I mean, there's a million different ways you can go with this from the Eagles' perspective. They've lost four out of five, but more alarming to me is 221 rushing yards allowed in this loss. I mean, it starts to feel unavoidable that the, the Eagles have a catastrophe on their hands. I mean, I know they've made the playoffs, but how can they bounce back from this and not let this, you know, carry on and, and affect their postseason chances? Yeah, and I think, Dave, too, it's like a different set of questions this week. Yeah. The run game, the run defense hadn't been great, but it hadn't been like this. This now jumps right to the front of the line of the biggest questions. Yeah, and a team that, you know, they've been running the ball effectively, but but not to the point where you're going to go for 221. Against a defense that really you think the strength is down inside. So you think that that would be one of the harder things for them to do. On the flip side, why didn't Philadelphia try to do the same thing? I mean, Chicago put 250 on them last week with a very similar style offense when you talk about Justin Fields and Khalil Herbert and what they do there in their run game. I would have really come out and made Arizona prove to me you're going to you're going to be mm -hmm. able to stop the run game today. If not, we're just we're going to grind it out against you. You took the words right out of my mouth, Moose. Is is there a point where I mean, for so long it felt like the strength of this Eagles team was running the ball. And I get it. They've got wonderful receivers. But is there a point where maybe they try to simplify this thing and get back to the basics heading into the postseason? I only got one game to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, I tell you what, the way that, that, that New York played against them on, on Christmas Day, uh, it, and now you're going back, and they're hanging in there with the Rams here this afternoon, that, that's going to be a tight game. I, I think, you know, this team – has always talked when all this started, and we listen to the guys, there's just, for the quality of the player that's in this locker room, that's on this roster, we're not playing to that level. For them to talk about, still looking for their identity yeah. in week 16, um, th these are some concerning things. And, and even if Philadelphia does get into the playoffs, if, if they don't change drastically, how long are they going to be there? Yeah, I think that is the, the kind of the underlying question to all these little questions throughout is how deep can this run go if they continue to play like this? A lot of questions to answer, not a lot of time to do it. Y'all, thank you so much. Have a happy new year. You too, Dave. Happy new year. It makes sense to focus so much on the Eagles because of the playoff ramifications, but I want to make sure we spend some time on the opposite side of this matchup. That would be the Arizona Cardinals, who under Jonathan Gannon turned in a performance worthy of this week's coaching spotlight. Every week, we like to shine a light on a moment, a decision, a performance that merits some extra attention. Today's coaching spotlight is brought to you by Verizon. It's the official private wireless network of the NFL's coach-to-coach -coach communication. And how can we not give a pat on the back to Jonathan Gannon, who went back to Philadelphia and turned in one of the biggest upsets of the season? For that matter, the Cardinals' whole placement in the NFL hierarchy this year is an upset. And yeah, I know they're 4-12. and 12. I know that they're going to pick highly in the NFL draft this season, but Take it back to August, and please keep in mind, they were widely ridiculed for tanking. They didn't have a quarterback. Josh Dobbs got there after, what, 10 days before the season was supposed to start. Kyler Murray didn't start playing until the last six weeks. This team was supposed to be a joke, and it's anything but. They beat Philadelphia. One of their other of four wins was against the Dallas Cowboys. So that's two NFL contenders that they've taken down right there. Throw in a win against Pittsburgh, and three of your four wins this year have come against teams that will finish the season with a winning record. Not bad for a team that was supposed to be tanking. 
I don't know, Jonathan Gannon. I'm going to guess this one might mean the most of all. This was his former employer. Also, remember Jonathan Gannon, the scapegoat for losing the Super Bowl in the eyes of a lot of Eagles fans and media, the way the Eagles defense played against the Chiefs last year. Well, Cardinals defense went to Philly and put the clamps on a very, very talented Eagles offense, 275 yards from the Birds. Just a thorough ass kicking, in my opinion. Like I said earlier, the score says 35 31. If you watch the game, the Cardinals were the superior team throughout this contest. And for Jonathan Gannon to go across country with this roster and beat this Eagles team, even if the Eagles have been struggling recently, this is the the cherry on top of the Sunday of a very surprisingly good season. I'm excited to see where the Cardinals go from here. I think item number one, Jonathan Gannon, if I can give you some advice, do everything you can to hold on to your offensive coordinator, Drew Petzing. That combination of him and Kyler Murray Add some talent to that offense with the draft picks you're going to have this year. Yeah, I'm suddenly pretty excited about the Arizona Cardinals. I don't think I would have said that. I know I wouldn't have said that. It's a testament to good coaching that this team is where it is. And beating your former employer, if you're Jonathan Gannon, it's got to feel pretty sweet. It is worthy of spotlighting. Let's continue the Sunday 6 with probably the craziest thing that happened in Week 17, and it happened on Saturday night, the Dallas Cowboys escape the Detroit Lions with a 20-19 win at AT&T Stadium. I mentioned the ramifications of the Eagles' loss. This is why. Birds lose to the Cardinals. Now the Cowboys control the NFC East. They can lock up the division with a win in Washington in Week 18. I don't know how many Cowboy fans were expecting that heading into Sunday. But it is the reality now, and it's mind-boggling to think about all the different variables that were affected in this crazy Saturday night game. A one-point win, and if you live under a rock or if you were just partying that hard on New Year's, maybe you missed it. It was one of the more controversial finishes we've seen this season in the NFL. The Cowboys looked like they had control over it. Some clock mismanagement by Mike McCarthy gives the Lions another chance. They go downfield. They turn a 20 to 13 game into 20 to 19. Dan Campbell, to his credit, cojones for days. He decides to go for two. And what happened next has been argued about ad nauseum by everybody who's got an opinion in the NFL. But I can do you one better. We so happen to have a guy here at Fox by the name of Dean Blandino, NFL on Fox rules analyst. He sat down with me to chat about yeah, a little bit of a wild sequence at the end of Cowboys-Lions. All right, Dean, for starters, I would like to apologize to you because I feel like whenever, like when you're at your busiest, it's never a good thing, is it? Like it's always when no. some sort of controversy hits that everybody wants to talk exactly. to you. Exactly. It's like, it's like, you know, the gate agent, nobody wants to talk to the gate agent unless they have a problem, right? The flight's yeah. delayed, you got to change your seat. So nobody wants to talk about officiating until there's an issue. Absolutely. And I mean, it, it's, it's an unfortunate truth. We do appreciate yeah. the time. So at this point, it's Monday. Cowboys-Lions happened Saturday. I think people have, have seen it, but just to, to recap, end of the game, 29 seconds to play, two-point conversion to potentially win the game. And the issue comes in when, when Dan Skipper and Taylor Decker try to talk to NFL official Brad Allen about reporting eligible. Obviously, there, there was a breakdown somewhere. Yeah. And I know you had a, a fantastic point on Sunday morning just about a, a teaching point really for, for the players as well as for the referees in a moment like, well, this. yeah, I think, look, you've got a, you've got a gadget play. This is a special play. They're practicing it. And the whole thing is contingent upon Decker reporting. So it's hard for me to sit here and say, he's, he's going to forget. And 
But I think what the Lions did is they kind of created this illusion. You had not just Decker and Skipper, but Panay Sewell over with Brad Allen and to create this kind of illusion as to, well, who's really eligible. But Decker said that he reported Brad Allen, either there was a miscommunication or he sees Skipper coming onto the field. He assumes that Skipper, who's reporting, announces 70 tells the defense that it's 70 and now you end up with 68 on the end of the line. He can't be on the end of the line unless he reports, he can't go downfield and he can't catch a pass. And I think that's all of this led to what happened. And, uh, and ultimately it went against the lions, which it, it kind of, to me creates a, he said, he said sort of situation yeah. and look, there's nothing we can do about it now, but what is what is the teaching point here? Like, it, it, did the did the Lions not do a good enough job here? I've seen a lot of people suggest that maybe Brad Allen assumed that Skipper was eligible because he had been eligible a few times in the game. Yeah. I mean, how do you fix the situation? I, I look, there's responsibility on the player that I have to make sure that I tell the referee that I'm eligible and get that acknowledgement, and then on the official as well, because like you said, okay, seventy had reported previously. I can't just assume because he's coming in the game that he's also going to report because he may just be coming in the game and line up at an ineligible position. So I think it's going slow. It's a two-point try. The clock's not running. Let's get all the information. Let's make sure there isn't a miscommunication and we hopefully could avoid issues like this. It's it's almost a cliche. Like we talk about coaching players to be composed in moments like this. In your experience in the league office, is that an emphasis for officiating crews? Like, hey, it's it's crunch time now. Like, keep your composure. Don't get carried away in the stress of the moment. No doubt. And in officiating, you're trying to reduce the noise, right? The outside noise throughout. And obviously that noise is going to ratchet up later in a game, critical situation. So you've got to kind of separate yourself from that and really focus on what's happening. And again, I just think it was that 70's coming to me. These players are telling me reporting. I assume it's 70. Whether the Lions were trying to disguise it, who knows? And we just were left with this. Like you said, the officials say one thing, the team says another, and we're kind of trying to figure it out. So one last thing, and I, you know, earlier in the game, there, there was another issue as well with the the phantom tripping call. I'm sure Cowboy fans are going to point that out forever when this comes sure. up. I'm curious. We know, you know, the, these officiating crews, they're graded every week. How you do determines what happens, whether what playoff games you get, if you get any. In a situation like this, where it's clearly such a talking point, it's so visible. Does the NFL do anything different than usual with a crew like this in this situation? I have not, nothing different. Like you said, they evaluate every game. They evaluate all the calls that are made, the calls that should have been made. Those evaluations will decide playoff assignments. And ultimately, if you don't grade out well, you could be released. I think when you do have something high profile, especially for the referee and Brad Allen's crew, they were involved in the Chiefs Packers game a couple of weeks ago, some high profile calls in that game, controversial calls. So you might take a referee and you want to keep him out of the, her out of the limelight and say, okay, well, postseason, we're not going to put this official, but that's up to the league to decide that. But ultimately it's the evaluations that are going to decide who goes into the playoffs. Something to watch. Dean, my, my resolution is to get you here for a good reason in 2024, but we appreciate the time, man. You got it. Thanks for having me. Don't worry, Cowboy fans. I will have your back in this regard. Yes, the ending of Cowboys-Lions is one of the weirdest things that happened in the NFL this year, but let's give the Cowboys their credit. Nothing was stolen in this game. For starters, the Lions heard Brad Allen declare the wrong guy as eligible, so there was time to change that play. On top of that, 
even after the penalty controversy, the Cowboys still had to successfully defend not one, but two more two-point conversion attempts. And as I mentioned to Dean Blandino a minute ago, there's also the issue of the phantom tripping call on Peyton Hendershot, a call if made correctly, allows the Cowboys to run out the clock without the Lions ever having another chance. So there's plenty of stuff that happened here that isn't just the referees stealing a result from the Detroit Lions. And oh, by the way, the Cowboys played pretty damn well in this game, boneheaded clock management notwithstanding. Dak Prescott didn't play well enough to win back the MVP, especially not with what Lamar Jackson did on Sunday, but 345 passing yards and two clutch touchdowns in this game, I thought he balled the hell out. You realize the Cowboys ran into stack boxes all night, continually put themselves in disadvantageous situations, and they still converted 50% of their third downs. That's the heater that Dak Prescott was on. C.D. Lamb sets franchise records for receptions and yards with a 13-catch, 227-yard day. The 92-yard touchdown from Dak to C.D., avoiding a would-be safety, extending the play, and uncorking a bomb. The Cowboys played well in this game. We don't, we're, we're not going to forget that. And it does matter for all the hell that they take about not beating enough winning teams. This was a team that had already locked up its division. This is a team with 11 wins, and the Cowboys found a way to outlast them. I thought it was a gritty win. I thought the defense, although the final possession, not what you would call inspiring, but their performance against the run, the amount of tackles for loss that were made by the likes of Demarcus Lawrence in this game. How about Jordan Lewis and Donovan Wilson baiting Jared Goff into two interceptions that they clearly knew were coming? This was a phenomenal performance. It's unfortunate that the weirdness with the referees at the end of the game is going to be what stands out years from now because it was a deserved win by the Dallas Cowboys. I would have liked to see how all of this played out in a universe without the controversy, but I, for one, am not going to take too much credit away from Dallas for how this played out. They now control their destiny. It's wild to think. A week ago, you lose at the buzzer to Miami Dolphins, and it looks like you're going to have to fight your way through the playoffs on the road where things have been so, so bad. Well, now they've got a shot to go home. You win one game on the road against a lousy team, and you are guaranteed a home playoff game. That win against Detroit extended their home winning streak to 16 games. Safe to say it matters a lot that the Cowboys finish this thing off. We will see if they can do it. Let's continue the Sunday six by taking it back to the AFC East. We talked a lot about Ravens dolphins from the Ravens perspective, but I want to circle back to the dolphins and not just to rub salt in the wounds on the loss, but to highlight what I think is the most interesting storyline in the NFL heading into week 18. And that is a literal AFC East division title game. Dolphins lose big to the Baltimore Ravens. Buffalo Bills slip past the New England Patriots 27 to 21. And now those two division rivals will play in the season finale with the division on the line. I, I got goosebumps just talking about it. I can't wait for it. And who better to talk to about it than the guy that covers all the madness in that division? Henry McKenna joins me now, our Fox Sports AFC East writer, to talk about Bills, Patriots, and Dolphins, Ravens, but also what is setting up to be one of the best games of Week 18. All right, Henry, what a week for the Miami Dolphins. They get their best win of the season at the buzzer. The, the one seed is in play. It's all right there for them. And not only do they fall short against Baltimore, I mean, that part's not surprising, but to lose by 37 points 
I mean, where where do you go from here with a loss this deflating coming right at the wrong time? Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, I was I was thinking that this might just be the darkest moment, maybe, of Mike McDaniel's tenure as the Dolphins coach. It, it is certainly the darkest loss. I mean. They come off, like you said, that Cowboys win, and all of a sudden, the momentum is changing on their season. They go from being the team that cannot win against over 500 teams to a team that maybe is getting it together right at the correct moment, building a resume that's playoff caliber. And then and then this happens, which is you know their most lopsided game of the season. Um, it is... Just a, I mean, it's just embarrassing at every level. It's not just that Tua had two interceptions. It's not just that the Ravens used the exact same play to score two touchdowns, where Patrick Ricard and Isaiah Likely, in each instance, were completely wide open. It's like, get it right the second time, maybe. Um, it is. It is at every level a failure from Miami, and they go into the AFC title game with a chance sort of at redemption or at least from like cleaning up the puke off their chests. And uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a lot of faith in this Miami team, not, not just going into week 18, even if they do win, even if they do beat the Buffalo bills and manage to hold on to their AFC East lead, come away with the title. I still don't think that these dolphins are legit for the postseason. It's, I mean, it's hard to have a ton of faith and we will get to the other side of this. Yes. The AFC East is going to have a title game in week 18. I can't wait. Bills and Dolphins get to that in a minute, but I do, I want to go back to what you just mentioned about the defense. I mean, yeah. Was it a banner day for the Dolphins offense by their standards? Probably not, but the degree to which Baltimore receivers were running free in this Miami secondary all day long at like all depths of the field is, I mean, is this just a schematic breakdown, bad day at the office? I mean, knowing that you've got a play extender like Josh Allen coming up on the schedule, how do you get back on track there? Yeah, I go, I go back to that hard knocks uh, thing that's going on on HBO. And um, there was a moment where Mike McDaniel's on the sideline and he's talking about, one play drive. Uh, we're going to put it up to, I think it was Jalen Waddle, and they got the right coverage and quick 75 yard touchdown. Well, guess what happened to the Dolphins? Uh, the exact same thing, opposite thing. Uh, the Ravens throw up a 75 yard touchdown and they had a one play drive. It kind of like set the mood for the whole day for the Dolphins. They're a team used to making explosive plays. They're a team used to being in sort of command and, uh, that that was sort of the opposite of what eventuated today. Um, receivers left completely wide open. Uh, in the case of of Zay Flowers, Isaiah Likely, uh, Patrick Ricard, the players I I, I talked about earlier, um, and I was on this podcast I think two weeks ago talking about how you know going into the the Cowboys game, the Dolphins were letting up a hundred more passing yards per game against elite. Uh, offenses or rather just teams that are above 500 right and they were letting up twice the points per game well guess what we just saw basically is is the exact same defense that we thought was sort of you know turning a corner against as against dallas it looked like maybe you know that was their their way of saying okay well we had a tough start but we've learned vic fangio's system which is notoriously hard to learn it takes a little bit of time maybe they were peaking at the right moment 
wrong. This, this Dolphins defense let up 321 passing yards. Lamar Jackson had five touchdowns and three incompletions. It was an absolute embarrassment. And, and I hate to just absolutely bully these, these Dolphins when they're down. But look, they bullied a bunch of uh, sub 500 teams for the you know greater part of this year. So they've acted as bullies. They've tried to punch above their weight class or pick on someone their own size. And, and this is what happened. Uh, you know, they, the bullies got bullied, I guess. All right. Let me make sure I've got this right. So like I said, week 18, the bills are 10 and six coming into this. The dolphins are 11 and five. So obviously if the dolphins win, they get into the playoffs off or they get in, they win the division off the strength of a better overall record. If the bills win, they have the same record as the dolphins, but they sweep the season series in the division and win the AFC East. Do I have that more or less correct? Yeah, you nailed it. That's the exact scenario. So that's that's how, even though the Dolphins and the Bills enter the, the season, or excuse me, ent- enter week 18, you know, with different records, it still is a title game because earlier this season, the Bills defeated the Dolphins uh, in Buffalo. So this game in Miami will be for the AFC's title. It's it's rare uh, to actually have a title game. It, it, it's sort of like that strange thing about football where you can win a title without actually going against the team that you're in competition with. So an interesting game, a really cool game that will go a long way in, in deciding not necessarily who gets into the playoffs, but where the seeding uh, lies in terms of that AFC um, because the, the Ravens just clinched the number one seed, uh, but past that, there isn't much certain. Um, the Bills, by winning against the Patriots, uh, their chances, I think, just jumped to about 97% in terms of uh, making the playoffs. So they're in a good position. The Dolphins, I mean, technically, are they clinched the playoffs last week, so they're technically in a good position. It's just that the, the Bills actually look like a team that can win in the postseason, and the Dolphins don't. <laughs> so well, let's uh, let's talk about the Bills really quickly. And, and uh, hey, sure. they've won four games in a row. I'm not trying to knock them, but they beat the yeah. Patriots 27 to 21. Not what I would call a pretty game. They survived the Chargers the week before that. They do have to go on the road in Miami. I mean. Between the team that just got their butts kicked and the team that's been making it difficult for the last two weeks, who do you, who do you feel better about right now? I know it's it's a long week until game day, but still. No, I get I get what you're saying too because I've been thinking about that. That Miami has their advantage at home. It is a very very difficult place for away teams to play because Miami puts their away teams on the hot side of their field, and the, and the you know they often show it on broadcasts. The difference in temperature can be upwards of like 20 degrees. It can be insane with that Miami sun kind of like beating across the open um, the open roof at Hard Rock Stadium. So, you know, there are many reasons why Miami will have a home field advantage. And that is one of them. Buffalo, a cold weather team, will be absolutely baking or potentially, depending on the weather, could be baking in the sun there. Um, and that is a real factor for fatigue, for, for everything. Um, and, but like you're saying, um, there is a mentality thing, too. Dolphins come off an absolutely embarrassing win. They want to prove themselves. They have that extra bit of hunger after being humbled. The thing that I think just X's and O's gets back to it is the Bills have figured out how to win ugly. It was a thing that they could not do earlier this season. They were the anti-Dolphins. Every time they pay, faced an above 500 team, 
they somehow pulled off a victory and and then all of a sudden they be you know facing a team that they should beat by every measure and they can't figure out how to do it they're just a disappointment right so you know they, they kind of flip it's not as perfect as the dolphins who really are sort of like um you know they're they're to the book in that way the bills are more inconsistent which is true to them they're inconsistent but what i'm saying is over the last two games you know close lost close win to the chargers close win over the patriots but they figured out how to win and so adding up these games uh, not just against bad teams but against the good ones that they've beaten over the last few weeks you start to see a bills team with a different identity a bills team that actually you know has some mental fortitude um and most importantly a Bills offense that's figured out how to be multiple. They were so heavily reliant upon Stefan Diggs when Kenton Dorsey was their offensive coordinator. Since switching to Joe Brady, who's now the interim offensive coordinator, the Bills have figured out how to make more use of James Cook. I mean, obviously his his stats have absolutely, you know, piled up, but also rookie tight end Dalton Kincaid. Also, you know, um, Khalil Shakir, also, uh, you know, even Dawson Knox, right? So, and, and of course, Gabe Davis, they're all going off at different times. And, and the Bills have figured out to be a less predictable team and they can still rely on their second, third options in the passing game. That was not true of the Bills for the first eight, 10 weeks of the season. So that's what really makes them so dangerous. It's not, it's, it's that they can actually play complementary football, which is just, you know, the coach slang for actually playing you know 60 minutes of, of good <laughs> consistent football i you couldn't have outlined it better i i mean look there's there's half a dozen fun things that are going to happen in week 18 but this is right at the top of the pile for me dolphins bills afc east title on the line didn't look remotely possible a month ago and, and here we go yeah i think both teams have a, a good shot of making the playoffs but you know, if the Bills manage to steal the division, not to mention the home playoff game, uh, they're going to have a, quite a bit to brag about. So I can't wait to see what happens there. Henry, I'm positive we will be checking in with you about it. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait to be back soon. All right, let's keep the Sunday Six rolling by attempting to do maybe not the impossible, but the very difficult. We're going to try to give you a clear look at the NFL playoff picture in each conference. We're going to start here in the NFC, and we mentioned it already. The 49ers have done us the favor of making things clear at the top. The rest of this is still a little bit of a jumble. You see it there. We know that the Cowboys, Lions, and Eagles have punched tickets to the playoffs. We know the Lions are NFC North champions. How any of that gets seeded? Still a little bit of a mystery. We don't even know who's won the NFC East. That'll be decided in Week 18. Cowboys at Commanders, Eagles against the Giants. We'll see how that goes. But basically what it boils down to is there are two playoff spots available in the NFC. One division spot, one wild card spot. The Rams are definitely a wild card. The runner-up of the NFC East, definitely a wild card. That leaves six teams in play for two spots. Three of those are all in the same division. That would be the NFC South. That That is the key to clearing this whole thing up. We know the fourth seed and the last home playoff game will be the NFC South champion. Problem is, the Buccaneers couldn't clear this up for us in Week 17. They hosted the New Orleans Saints with a chance to clinch the division. The Saints beat them convincingly 23-13, keeping three of the four teams in that division alive. Buccaneers still with a shot. New Orleans right behind them and Atlanta 
with a very faint hope of pulling this thing off heading into the final week of the season. Joined now by the guys that had the call in Tampa Bay for the Saints' big win, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, to talk about where the Saints go from here as well as how the Buccaneers recover. All right, y'all, obviously, I mean, a big win for the New Orleans Saints, but specifically this defense really turning it around from that loss to the L.A. Rams. What did you see from these guys that enabled them to, to really shut down the Buccaneers until the dying minutes of this game? Yeah, not, I mean, they got shredded in L.A., and then you go back to their Week 4 matchup, and, and, you know, the defense had a hard time, right? Baker Mayfield threw for whatever. They had 353 yards, a completely different story today. And Mayfield had time. It just never seemed like there was anybody to throw to. Yeah, I think you got to give a lot of credit first off to the back end, you know, coverage unit. They played a lot of man coverage, and then they'd sprinkle in a couple zone looks to throw Baker off. But when it was straight man across the board, got to have it moments, they really held up. You, we saw Baker numerous times just go through his progression. Then the pass rush started to get home, but it was late into the sequence. So you got to give a lot of credit. Dennis Allen, this entire unit, they knew their defense coming into the year. Hopefully on paper was at least their strength. Been pretty good, a little up and down last week, bad. This week, fantastic. Yeah, really was, Dave. So this is looking like it's going to set up a one-week season here in the NFC South. If you're the Buccaneers, knowing that, that it's all still out there for you next week, how do you move past this and not let it linger for too long? Well, it's so interesting because coming in, they were the hottest team in the NFC. They won four in a row. Offense was playing great. And Mayfield was playing great. And then they just kind of hit a thud. So is it, is it just a one-off for you and next week's back to normal? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest message needs to be everything we had on the line this season coming into today is still on the table. They control their own destiny. So Todd Bowles, the leaders, Baker Mayfield, they need to kind of galvanize this group and say, okay, we need to put this behind us. We now go on the road next week down in Carolina, Worst team in the league, worst yeah. record in the league at least. And all of a sudden you're the division champ. So, yes, it would have been nice to do it here at home, but it's still right in front of you. It's still on the table. you got to put this behind you and come play your best ball next week. Or you got no shot. Controlling your destiny is usually a good thing, but who knows? And this, this year, we who don't knows? Know. We can't we'll figure see. anything out. Yeah, in, in 2023, it hasn't been the best thing. Maybe it'll be different in 2024. Y'all, safe <laughs> travels and, uh, and have a happy new year. I'll talk to you soon. I'll try to make this as simple as possible for you. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers win against Carolina this weekend. They are in as the NFC South champs. The loss to New Orleans doesn't ultimately mean that much as long as they rebound. If the Buccaneers lose to the Panthers, Week 18, Saints-Falcons in New Orleans becomes your de facto division title game. If the Bucs lose, whoever wins, Saints-Falcons, wins the division. Saints have a Outside chance at being a wild card, I wouldn't call it overly likely. If you're a Saints fan or a Falcons fan, you are rooting hard for the Carolina Panthers this weekend. Otherwise, Tampa Bay Buccaneers host a playoff game as the division champs for the third straight year. Elsewhere in the NFC, it's really simple if you're the Green Bay Packers. A dominant win for Jordan Love and the gang in Minneapolis on Sunday night. All they got to do is beat the hated Chicago Bears, and they are into the postseason as the final wildcard team. If the Packers slip up, now you're looking at the Seattle Seahawks. They need a win against the Arizona Cardinals as well as a Packers loss. I would call those the two most likely scenarios. The Vikings, somewhere in the ether, they have a mathematical chance of pulling all this off, but they would need a win against Detroit as well as a long list of favorable results to go in their favor possible wouldn't call it likely same thing goes for the saints as a potential wild card you would need a whole lot of results to go your way it's the bucks 
it's the Packers, it's the Seahawks. Those are the big three teams that you're keeping an eye on in the NFC heading into Week 18 on top of the NFC East picture and how that all shapes up with the Cowboys and the Eagles. I hope I made that clear. The AFC playoff picture is a little bit easier to figure out than the NFC, which is ironic because there's actually more spots left available. Three playoff spots still up for grabs in the AFC, but it just seems to have fallen so much tidier over here than in the NFC. We know Baltimore is the one seed. We know that the AFC East champion, either Miami or Buffalo, will be the two seed. That's probably why, in their infinite wisdom, the league office made that game the Sunday night primetime nightcap. The last game of the weekend will decide the two seed. Right now, it's the Miami Dolphins. A week from now, it could be the Buffalo Bills. So we know one of those teams is slotted into the two spot. The Kansas City Chiefs are locked into the three seed. They beat the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday to win an eighth consecutive AFC West. Shout out to them for that impressive streak. They're not going anywhere. They're sitting right there in the three seed. They will host the AFC six seed in a couple of weeks. And for good measure, the Cleveland Browns, they're not going to win their division, but they are locked into the five seed. They can do no worse than that. So they just sit around to wait and see who finally wins the mess that is the AFC South. Go figure. It's it's the South divisions this year in the NFL, just making life incredibly difficult on everyone. Same story in the NFC. Here in the AFC, it's almost like all of these teams are following each other's lead. Remember a week ago, Jacksonville, Indy, and Houston all lost to muddy up this picture. Well, in Week 17, they all win just to make sure that we'll be in suspense for one more week. So as it sits right now, Thanks to tiebreakers, the Jags do sit in first place. Colts, Texans, Titans are eliminated, but they're going to play a big part in this. The Jags go to Tennessee in Week 18. If they win that game, they are the division champions. That part is pretty straightforward. But where it gets interesting, I already mentioned the brilliance of the NFL's flexing policy with the Bills and the Dolphins. They did it again here. They announced late Sunday that on Saturday – Indy is going to play Houston Saturday afternoon. Where is that game? I'll tell you where that game is. It's in Indy. So Houston at Indianapolis. The winner of that game is guaranteed a playoff berth, both sitting at 9-7, and seven, both on the outside of the playoff picture right now. But the winner gets a playoff berth, and then they just get to sit around and wait and see who wins that Jacksonville-Tennessee game. If the Jags win... It's the Jags and a wildcard team from the AFC South. If the Titans upset the Jags, then the winner of Houston-Indianapolis moves up into the division champion spot, and they would host the Cleveland Browns. Oh, my gosh. That's a lot. I hope it makes sense. One more team left in the AFC wildcard field that's worth mentioning. That's the Pittsburgh Steelers. They go up to Seattle on Sunday. They give Mike Tomlin another winning season with a great performance against the Seahawks and They are sitting in the cut, very much still alive. They play the Ravens on Saturday, a Ravens team with not a whole lot to suit up for. If the Steelers can get a win, a loss by either Jacksonville or Buffalo would put them into the playoffs. So if they can get a win on Saturday, I'm sure there will be a lot of anxious TV watching happening in Pittsburgh on Sunday. It's a little bit convoluted. Basically, five five teams still in play for three spots. The big one to watch, obviously, the free-for-all in the AFC South, not to mention 
one of the most exciting games of the year, Bills-Dolphins, on Sunday night to determine, A, the two seed, but also could have a huge impact on the wild card as well. So much going on. I can't believe it's still this messy with just one game left to play. It's the greatest league in the world. All right, let's wrap up our Sunday Six in fitting fashion. It's the first day of January. It's a new year. Let's get into some New Year's resolutions. And as much as it might benefit me to self-reflect and change some things about myself, it feels a hell of a lot easier to give out New Year's resolutions to your favorite NFL teams. So I picked a few that I think could stand to keep some things in mind moving into the new year and how that might benefit them in 2024. Let's start off with the Chicago Bears, who I would like to see keep an open mind moving into 2024. Why do I say that? The vibes around the Bears should be sky high. This is a team going through a remarkable turnaround. Their 37-17 win against Atlanta on Sunday was their fourth in five. You realize the Bears are allowing an average of 15 points per game in the last five weeks. They haven't allowed an opponent to go over 20 points since Thanksgiving. Since Justin Fields returned from his thumb injury, he's improved in a variety of ways. Sunday, just another in a line of remarkable performances from a guy that the Bears have been hoping to see make that jump. So why do I say keep an open mind? It's because of the choice that is now in front of the Bears as they do not look like a postseason team. It's fascinating to think where this could go. Fields looks better. Fields looks like a guy that you can build around. But also on Sunday, Carolina Panthers lost to Jacksonville, guaranteed the Bears the number one overall pick in the NFL draft by virtue of their offseason trade with the Panthers. So what do you do if you're the Chicago Bears? Fields is playing well enough that plenty of people say, hey, we have two top 10 picks. We continue to invest in this roster. We can make the offense better around him. We can make the defense better as well. Maybe Fields is the guy to take us over the top. At the same time, it's an equally defensible position to say, we're about to have to pay Justin Fields. Paying a quarterback makes it harder to build a contending roster. We have the number one overall pick and a chance to draft an incredibly talented quarterback, be it Caleb Williams, be it Drake May, both of which have had phenomenal college seasons. I would guess one of them is a borderline lock to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. I don't think either one of these things is wrong, and I think that's what's interesting about the Bears. It feels like a fan base in factions of keep fields at all costs, everything else is wrong, and start over, the younger, cheaper quarterback is the better option. You don't have to decide that here in January. You might not have to decide it for months. If you get blown away by an incredible trade offer for Justin Fields, that's probably something Ryan Poles, the Bears general manager, should listen to. If the offers aren't great and you realize you have a good chance to put two first-round picks around Justin Fields as well as he's playing this year, that's not the worst thing I've ever heard either. Like I said, Keep an open mind. You don't have to make this decision today or even this month. Being good enough that the Bears have re-entered the playoff conversation while also holding the number one pick in the NFL draft is a hell of a place to be. Up next, I'd like the Dallas Cowboys to resolve to be a little bit more mindful of their time, use their time a little more wisely in the coming year because officiating controversy notwithstanding, Cowboys almost blew their game against the Detroit Lions through their own decision-making in their final possession. I'm talking specifically about a second and 14 
up seven with a chance to really bleed some clock, force the Detroit Lions to use timeouts and make it very hard on Jared Goff to do what he wound up doing, which is drive the field with enough time. Second and 14, ball in opposing territory. Cowboys opt for a low percentage deep shot to Brandon Cooks. It's ultimately incomplete. Cooks didn't even look like he was on the same page with Dak Prescott. Mike McCarthy, after the game, says, I was just trying to move into field goal range. We had a penalty move us out. I'm trying to get back. Undermined a little bit by Prescott himself, who says, yeah, that decision's going to keep me up tonight. It's not a high percentage throw. We got to keep the clock moving. We got to make smarter decisions. And he's right. It's fine to throw the ball. Maybe a more high percentage throw that has a better chance of keeping the clock moving. A go ball to the end zone when you're up seven with little time to play is not the move. And in case you think I'm being too harsh, it concerns me even more so because of what happened a month prior. A very similar situation against Seattle where down near the goal line with little time to play and control the ball, the Cowboys opt for a fade to the end zone that falls incomplete rather than a play that keeps the clock moving. I'm not telling you to be conservative. I am telling you to be mindful of the game situation and call plays that give you a better chance of putting pressure on your opponent. This is two big games. The Cowboys managed to win both. I guess I can give Mike McCarthy that. But the playoffs are on deck. In 2024, it's the perfect time to be a little more mindful of your time and put a little more pressure on your opponents with your decision-making in crunch time. Up next, my resolution for the Baltimore Ravens is a classic, get healthier. Who doesn't want to do that in January? But imagine what it could mean for a team that's already the AFC's number one seed. Do you realize the Ravens rolled over the Dolphins despite an injury report that was longer than a CVS receipt? They didn't have star safety Kyle Hamilton in that game. They didn't have starting cornerback Brandon Stevens. They didn't have starting guard Kevin Zeitler. Still won by 30-plus. On top of that, receivers Odell Beckham and Zay Flowers have been dealing with injuries. The star linebacker duo of Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen has been limited in practice. Offensive tackles Ronnie Stanley and Patrick McCary also dealing with injuries throughout the season. Hell, for that matter, remember Mark Andrews? Maybe he now has some time to come back with the Ravens securing the number one seed and the Ravens have the luxury of the time. Look, every team in the league could compare injuries with Baltimore, but the difference is Baltimore has now earned the right to sit at home, get a little bit healthier. They don't have to play for all for anything really next week and they get the buy in the playoffs. They don't have to go all out until the divisional round of the playoffs. Get healthier, y'all. Everybody says they want to do it in January, but the Ravens actually have that opportunity. I'll wrap it up with the Philadelphia Eagles with another oldie but goodie. Just get out there and run more. And look, I it, that's rich coming from me. I could definitely stand to grab my hokas and get out on the trail a little more often in 2024, but it's pretty straightforward for the Philadelphia Eagles. Run. More specifically, run the damn ball. I know it's not a cure-all for everything that's bothering Philadelphia. We can have a separate conversation about their defense, but it strikes me in 16 games this season, Philadelphia running back DeAndre Swift has only gone over 15 carries on seven occasions. And look, I get it. They've been on the wrong end of some blowouts recently. You're not going to hand the ball off a ton when you're losing big to San Francisco or Dallas. But Sunday against Arizona was a game that the Eagles either led or were tied for the vast majority of. And yet, I look down at the box score and see 13 carries 
for DeAndre Swift. Mind you, he averaged 4.7 yards per carry on those 13 carries. And yet, just 13. Guy went over 1,000 yards for you this year. He's been a guy that you can depend on at various times this season. I mean, you go all the way back to that win against Minnesota. I thought this dude in week two was going to have a 15, 1,600-yard season. And way too often, it feels like he's an afterthought in this offense. The Eagles would prefer designed runs to Jalen Hurts, who hasn't looked right all season, or they puzzlingly give the ball to other running backs in clutch situations. Do you realize in this game, Kenny Gainwell touched the ball on three different third downs. DeAndre Swift never got that opportunity. In chain-moving chances, in big-time moments of the game, feels like DeAndre Swift is nowhere to be found. And I know running the ball correlates to having a lead late. I get that. I, I hate the stat like, oh, when such and such touches the ball 20 times, they're 100 and 0. Of course they are. That's not the point. But what the Eagles do best is move the ball on the ground behind their offensive line. They haven't shown any ability to be consistent through the air. What they have shown is that they can pound the air out of the rock. And that's what they what the Cardinals did to them in this game. Like I said, there's more at work here than this. The, the Eagles have a host of problems that they've got to get figured out between now and their first playoff game. But for so many weeks, it feels to me like they chased style points when they don't have to. They can win ugly. And in my opinion, for so much of the season, they've been reluctant to. Well, now it's cost you the opportunity at the one seed. It might have cost you the division. Doesn't have to cost you your season, though. Be a little more willing to get boring. Run the rock. Give the ball to your playmakers on the ground. And you know what? If you do it successfully, it just might open up some advantageous looks for you in the play-action game with those star receivers that you have. Just a suggestion, it would benefit all of us. In 2024, Eagles, just get out there and run a little bit more often. One really fun announcement before we get to this week's edition of Ask Glazer. If you missed it on Sunday, the XFL and the USFL announced that they have merged into the United Football League. So the two main spring football leagues had been competing against each other. They have now merged together into one bigger, more entertaining league. It's going to be great for us. More football on in the spring, less of an offseason waiting for the NFL. I think also don't underestimate what this means to the NFL, having a larger talent pool, more games, more roster spots with developmental players. Moose Johnston said earlier today, I think this is a real opportunity for this league to work in conjunction with the NFL. If you don't believe me, you can see it already. Plenty of teams from the USFL, excuse me, plenty of players from the USFL and the XFL on NFL rosters already, including Browns and former Panthers quarterback P.J. Walker, not to mention Kevante Turpin, the Pro Bowl return man for the Cowboys. Cowboys have really been on top of this thing. Brandon Aubrey, their kicker, also coming from the USFL, have a feeling he will be a Pro Bowler by the end of the year, having not missed a kick all season. So yes, plenty of talent to be found, and it is now bigger with more games. We do know right now the defending champs of each league USFL champ Birmingham Stallions and the XFL champ Arlington Renegades are going to kick this whole thing off on March 30th. So just a couple months away, we're going to have spring football. Plenty more details to come about the UFL. That's what we know right now. But starting tonight, 
going to have even more information about the league. I can't wait. Spring football is going to be better than ever. Keep an eye out for that in the new year. And now, as promised, another edition of Ask Glazer, a special edition of Ask Glazer, as Jay and the Fox NFL Sunday crew went down to Dallas this weekend to celebrate Jimmy Johnson going into the Cowboys Ring of Honor. Had a chance to chat with Jay about that, not to mention all the coaching speculation, all the rumors you would expect. It is January after all. Check it out. All right, it's a new year, but it's the same segment. Ask Glazer with an LFL on Fox Insider, Jay Glazer. New Year's resolutions you're going to break really quickly? I mean, I tell myself every year I'm going to read more, but when you have to watch 18 hours of football every week as a job, it gets gets tough. That's true. Maybe in the car. So it's not really reading, it's listening more. It, so it's, it's still, it, it's... But you're learning more. It's stimulating, though. See, you're I right. about your intellectual growth. That's a good workaround. I appreciate that. Anything for you? Me? Yeah. No, no, no. no. I know I'm going to break them in two seconds. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's keep it, let, let's start this off with the latest in just what's been a, a, a fantastic year for you and, and the gang downstairs. Yes. Y'all were at AT&T Stadium this weekend. I mean, the the question is, what was it like seeing Jimmy get into the ring of honor? But uh, just in general, one of the cooler sequences I've seen this entire season, how'd it go? You know, listen, we were just doing our show here too. I was standing next to Jimmy and the moment we started playing the highlights from last night, Jimmy started crying. Like people see this old gruff Jimmy Johnson, but he is also, uh, he, he definitely shows this soft little underbelly to us a lot more than people realize. And that's just great. When you see... It's great when things happen for you in life, but it is so special and amazing when things happen for your loved ones. And to see it up close with Jimmy was great. Just the whole scene last night, everybody was so happy. All these former players, and there's there was coaches of the Cowboys running up to us, and coaches from the Lions running up to us. It was it was pretty surreal. I literally at one point, I, honestly, I sat there. I'm up in the booth, sitting next to like Strahan here and, and Kurt and Bill Richards and. And everybody, and I literally look up to God, like, thank you, God Almighty, my best friend. Like, what a life I have. You got to be kidding me. I'm still waiting to wake up in fifth grade. None of this happens. But we have the greatest, uh, not just football family, but the greatest TV family, sports family, whatever you want to call it, anybody could ever ask for. Like, we we rely on each other. We hang out a lot. The off seasons, we're best man at each other's weddings and godfather each other's kids. So, you know, there's the love that we have for each other will never be duplicated in TV ever again. It's pretty, it's, I mean, it's amazing. And it was really cool to see, like, obviously, what a cool opportunity for Jimmy to, you know, yeah. Troy was there and Emmett and Michael and all these Cowboys legends. But then I guess if there's a, a benefit of how long he had to wait to get into the yeah. Ring of Honor, it's he got to build these bonds with all of y'all. And right. so he had like a second yeah. family there to do this with. Well, that was the thing that was pretty interesting is all these people saying, I mean, we thought it was so great that you were there with Jimmy. And we were just like, of course we'll be there with Jimmy. That's not a question. It's a special day for him. Absolutely we'll be there for Jimmy. It's, I mean, it, I said it last night. It tells you everything that you need to know that the whole thing was televised yeah. during halftime. Yeah, I just, cool. I mean, what, yeah. a, what a cool moment. All right, moving into 2024. Speaking of which, there was a flip side to that game. Obviously a wild finish for the Detroit Lions. And on Fox on Sunday, you said Dan Campbell probably gets home from that game at... <laughs> Two or three o'clock yeah. in the morning, and he's awakened by contractors outside of his house. Well, what was yeah, that all about? Like someone, I guess, played a joke on him or something and gave his address out, and all of a sudden, like, these contractors showed up. He told me the website it was for. I'm not going to plug it. Um, that basically has contractors show up to, like, hey, if you need this fixed or that fixed or that fixed and that. And I think he said it was, like, 10 of them or something like that. So, like, just 
leave the guy alone. Give the guy a break. Like, man, he, he's he's turned this city around, obviously, and, and their football uh, future around. Um, but I was like, you got to be kidding me. I said, Dan, can I use this on TV? He was kind of like, man, I'm so delirious right now. Whatever, I'm good. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I said, okay. But, you know, look, for, um, you know, uh, the other interesting part of that conversation is, him saying he knows now that he has to make sure his players don't dwell on that call that happened. Because it's real easy. Because no matter what, it's not going to be redone. It's not going to be replayed. It's not going to, you're not going to have a do-over. So you've got to then, as angry as you might be, shift focus to get your players to somehow just put it in the past without being angry about it and move forward. And that's a, it's, it's, it's one of the harder jobs of a coach. I'd say it seems like a, a silver lining that the Lions have already locked up the division, so at least you don't have to worry about that in addition to being frustrated, but definitely a, cra- a crazy yeah. 18 or so hours for Dan Campbell. Let no the doubt. guy get some sleep. All right, we got a question about Baker Mayfield. Obviously, <laughs> it's incredible what he's doing in Tampa Bay. Yeah. I think it's easy to ask questions about, like, will the Buccaneers re-sign Baker? It seems like they want to, but I'm curious – how much, how appealing might Baker Mayfield be to the rest of the league now that he is pulling this off? I think just when I talk to people in Tampa, they love him. They love, they're all in on Baker. And I'm wondering, like, where Baker kind of switched. And I'm wondering, man, it was just that short time he had with Sean McVay, right? Mm-hmm. Sean McVay makes sure you're coachable. And, and he, you know, you can't just kind of do things your own way. You have to do it Sean's way. And I, I, you know, did it change him there? But, they're saying just his Addy is so so much of one of the dudes and having so much fun. I've known Baker since his first day in the league. I actually trained him in mixed martial arts at the Browns facility, first day of his career. Liked him day one, um, but he just has this, this dude quotient that as a quarterback, you want to make sure you have that dude quotient. And then obviously you got to make sure you play. But, you know, um, he put up a lot of points for, for in, in one particular game for the Rams for Sean McVay, um, but I don't think, and I, they still made him go in and compete for the job, let's say, but yeah, this is a different Baker Mayfield, but he's having a blast. They love him in Tampa. I can't wait to see where that goes for him. It's well-deserved. All right, question about college coaches. It seems like there are quite a few of them that are being linked into the NFL mm-hmm. world. Do you think this No, might, really Jim Harbaugh. Is that, I mean, that is that is the yeah. big one. I mean, do you, do you think we might see a new cycle there where where – whether it's Jim Harbaugh, maybe a college coaches just don't work on this level. It like, ha- not it recently. You know, when you go and any, if they do, it's somebody who had like Pete Carroll had already been pro coach, but like, they just don't work when you come to this level. The Matt rules the world. It's just or Nick Saban even, right? Just doesn't work on this level. Obviously Jim Harbaugh is different because he has, you know, he played in the NFL, has NFL roots. Um, the only other guy I'd give a look at is Jed Fish, who mm. has a lot of NFL ties. Arizona. And, but he's coached with, Oh my God! Bill Belichick, Sean McVay, uh, Pete Carroll, um, and, and list goes on. And Nick Saban, and like list goes on and on and on, of who he's learned from. But I've gone down there. The culture that he has changed to go University of Arizona, and, and they have, it's so hard for them to hold on to players when he's done with that. Not just offense, but that culture. If I'm a team, I look at a Jed Fish. Just hey, just see if he's because he's been in the NFL for most of his career except these last last two for uh, for Arizona, but I would give him a look. Yeah, Arizona having just finished a heck of a season down there for sure. All right, uh, reports surfacing over the weekend that Matt Eberflus potentially has done enough to save his job in Chicago. Have you any any update on that, or or do you think Matt Eberflus has done enough to be safe this year? Uh, well, I think it's I think they're leaning that way. Yeah, 
Um, but I don't know if, I don't think an absolute decision has been made yet, but I do think they're leaning that way. But until, you know, season plays out, you, you know, uh, and I, I hear definite, uh, I'm not able to, to say that. Sure. Last one for you. And that's um, what a weird week in Denver with Russell Wilson. I, I mean, there's a million ways you could go with it, but I'm curious if Russell Wilson is right that he's done in Denver and I totally, no, he's done in Denver. I understand. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, where do you think, where do you think this goes for him? What do you think 2024 looks like for Russell Wilson? Somebody will get, first of all, the, the, the Broncos are on the hook for the money, right? So you get him like league minimum. Absolutely. Someone will bring him in. A lot of teams look to bring, to bring him in to like, did like no question starter. Do you think, or uh, look, look, you look at teams who are like, uh, I mean, the Colts brought in Matt Ryan, right. Two years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, how many teams have gone after Carson Wentz? And you just, yeah, there's not a lot of starters in this league. So I think that a team will look for him for a starter and hope that, okay, because here's the thing. Him and Sean Payton, and Sean Payton, when he went out and got Jared Stidham early on in free agency for a lot, pay a backup quarterback, that showed you right there, I'm not sure about the quarterback who's there. I want to make sure that I have what I think is the best backup in the NFL in case it doesn't work out. And I think this is more of... Sean style, Russell style, just don't mix. Sean wants to make sure you drop back like Drew Brees. You got read, read, first read, second read, third read, fourth read, boom. You know where you're going. Russell is a play extender, right? Extends the plays, uh, doesn't do things the, the way Sean does, and they just didn't jibe. Now, somebody else may say his style will jibe with what I do, but if you're going to have Sean Payton style of offense, it's just not going to jibe. Be an interesting wrinkle for 2024, which is here. Jay. Yeah. Happy New Year, my man. Thank you as always for Thank stopping you, by. We'll Appreciate catch you soon. It, man. I'm supposed to get engaged in 2024. I say supposed to, because we all know this time for me to screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you stopping by, man. Thank you. That does it for a long, busy week 17 Sunday. Week 17, period. There's no Monday night game this week. It's also New Year's Day, so you'll excuse us if we're going to take the holiday for ourselves. We will be back Thursday. We're going to get you ready for week 18, all of the scenarios, all of the big matchups, previewing everything to come with so much on the line. I'm already excited about it, and we just got done with Week 17. Week 18 promising to be a banger, and the playoffs obviously on the horizon right behind it. Stick with us as we move forward into 2024. Hope it's a happy one for you and yours. In the meantime, if you wanted to go find us on Spotify or maybe Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you get your NFL news. We'll be there to help you out. Appreciate y'all so, so much. Happy New Year. Enjoy your 2024, and we will get you ready for Week 18 real, real soon.